Welcome back to the Joy of Aquatics. Today we are talking to a mum. Now after my interview with Julia last episode, I really wanted to chat to a parent to get a parent's perspective. So here's what happened during my telephone interview with a mum from America. With me right now is Valeria Goebel from California. Valeria, how are you today? I'm doing well, thanks, Joy. It's late where you are. I want to say thank you for staying up so late to talk to me. You're so welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Valeria, you are a teacher and also a mum of a beautiful little boy. I thought it was really awesome to be able to speak to you about getting your perspective on swimming lessons and why they're so important and, and just hearing from a parent, I think, is something that swimming teachers don't get candidly. So I think coming from a parent who's like maybe got nothing to do with a swimming teacher, you could give us some amazing feedback into it and insight I'd into our to. industry. Yeah. yeah, so thank you for speaking with me today. So Valeria, as a mum, why is it important that your child learn to swim? So I think that first and foremost, a uh, peace of mind for me, living in California and, you know, being beachy people, learning not to swim is really not an option. It's a necessity. Um, we have friends with pools. Um, a lot of parties that we go to are poolside parties, if not pool parties, like as a whole concept. Um, and having a non-swimmer at such an event would be really stressful for me and I think many others. Um, And besides the safety aspect, fun, of course, is a consideration. Being able to splash and jump and dive without, you know, mummy holding on to you is kind of important to me. Um, I was listening to a previous podcast that you did with the mom that investigates drownings, and I was kind of reflecting on my own attitudes and practices thinking maybe I'm a little too goosey-goosey in my expectations of what my child will be able to do in the pool by himself. So maybe I need to reflect on that a little more. But right now, I would love to go to a pool party and hang out and have my child in the pool unsupervised at some point. Obviously not now when he's three years old, but as a teenager, I don't want to be watching him like a hawk all the time. Yes. Yeah, I I can understand that. So it's not just safety. It is about experiencing fun and experiencing things as well. Yeah, it's a social, it's a social thing as well. Yeah. And one thing that I've always said is that if a child doesn't know how to swim, they, they miss out on experiencing things like being able to go snorkeling and see the fish. Um, Yeah, being able to maybe go scuba diving or um, feel confident if they want to get on a jet ski that if they fall in they've got some sort of skills to be able to to help them or if they even want to do a sport like diving it's not always about competitive learn to swim there are so many other ways that we can recreate in and around the water that fun social aspect of it is is really important and I'm glad I'm glad that you brought that up Valeria because it's something that so many people forget so thank you all right so we've we've kind of touched on there is a bit more 
to swimming than just safety. But in terms of lessons, um, is there more to swimming than just safety in 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 lessons? Um, yeah, I mean, I think that, um, as I mentioned before, the fun aspect is huge. Um, also, exercise, strength building, stamina building, character building, you know, team building, all of those important um, things that kind of feed into a child growing as a whole child. That's a big uh, buzzword in education right now about building the whole child. And in Silicon Valley, we have a very, very uh, competitive parent climate. Yes, yeah, fun fun times yeah, with yeah. them, with competitive parents. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, we, yeah, we just have this competitive parent culture where a lot of parents have kind of lost track of what parenting is about. And, then, of course, I'm injecting my own perspective into this, but I don't think that the goal should be to have the fastest swimmer. I don't think the goal should be to have the best soccer player. For me, my goal is to raise a kind, gentle, you know, uh, adequate man and not the best swimmer. So building the whole child is kind of part of the goal. And I think that swimming can encompass so many of these uh, aspects like being a team player and being able to negotiate, you know, who's going to swim what in the relay. You know, that's a swimming-related concept. But if a child is going to throw a hissy fit and say, no, I'm doing breaststroke every time, then that's not really going to help him or her in the general world out there, you know, being a team a team player. No, I, I would agree with you on that one. And it is... That, well, so many swimming teachers realise that we we encompass so much. And with our little guys, we teach them colours, we assist with manners, um, taking turns and sharing, and, and you just said negotiating. So, you know, there's so much that we do in our lessons. It's great to hear that a parent is saying the same thing. Woo! We're on to a winner. <laughs> so... Valeria, what was swimming like for you as a child? Do you remember much about it? I do. I um, I actually remember it very vividly, and my early swimming days were not very pleasant. Um, so I don't know if your listeners know that um, the family connection between us. But I, you know, I come uh, from a no. family with competitive athletes. Yeah, um, and that uh, pressure was very, very prevalent when I was little because all of these professional athletes were older than me and were already becoming quite successful when I was entering the swimming world at the age of four, five. I'm not really sure how old I was. Um, And I remember my mom taking me to a beach vacation where we had to fly, and this was flying, uh, you know, in the very early 90s when it was expensive and kind of special and we flew to the beach and I refused to get in the sea. Um, I remember the waves being very, very big and my mom being very adamant that we came to the beach, we flew here, you have to go in the water, and her dragging me in and I was just so scared. 
And so when we got back, I was taken to swim lessons with a very um, strict authoritarian swimming teacher who was part of the family. And um, I remember she did not get in the water with me. She gave me a hula hoop to hold on to, and she would drag me around the pool while I was just rigid, rigid with fear. Um, And every now and then she would yank the hula hoop out of my hands and I would scramble to grab it again. And I I was petrified. Um, And that experience has kind of informed my parenting um, and teaching my son to swim because I, I don't want my kid to start out terrified. I want him to start kind of on his own, of his own volition and be comfortable just sitting on the step, be comfortable sitting on the next step, you know, splashing where the water is ankle deep rather than being dragged around a pool where he can't touch the bottom and, you know, just trusting a piece of plastic. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I, I, yeah, I, so. Interesting. I did not know that it's about deep. your first <laughs> swimming experiences, Valeria. Yeah. Okay. Well, what has what has your experience been like with lessons now as a mum coming in? Thank you for asking. So I actually have had some very mixed uh, experiences as, you know, being on the other side of this too. Um I first took my son to, you know, official mommy and me classes when he was just over a year old. So um, at that time, there was a class of, I think, maybe eight moms and eight babies ranging from about six months to two years. And he was right in the middle of one year old. And they had a program. Of on day one, we're going to get in the water. On day two, we're going to go underwater. Day three, we're going to blow bubbles. And so it was a very structured program. And my kid was not having it. He was scared and crying and screaming and, you know, clutching onto me. Um, and I didn't know better. So I kind of went with it for the first three days. And I got to the point where he refused to take a bath on day three. And I actually remember reaching out to you and saying, Joy, something mm. feels wrong. I, yeah. I'm not happy with how this is going. I'm not happy with what they're asking me to do to my child. Is this normal? And I remember we had a long chat about it. And I ultimately ended up dropping swimming classes, you know, as a structured activity. And we continued going swimming, but just not to the class. Um, and I thought, I'll try again next year. So this past summer, we went again. He was two. Exact same kind of setup. And I thought, well, maybe he can handle it this year. And that, that was a no again. So I remember talking to the swim teacher. And I said to her, you know, I don't think that him crying is really going to help him learn. Because as a classroom teacher... We've been taught over and over again that traumatized children don't learn, scared children don't learn. You really need to have the child be open to learning. And he was not open. There were other kids there that were perfectly fine with you know, being dunked underwater, but he was not one of them. And the expectation that he would 
you know, just do it because it was Wednesday and it was time to do it on Wednesday wasn't enough. Yeah. Um, and, and so what we ended up doing was we ended up still going to the class for another week or so. And I said to the teacher, please don't touch him. Don't grab him. Just, you know, let him do his own thing. And she, I mean, she was a teenager and maybe I felt a little bit personally attacked by a 17 year old telling me how to parent my child. But, um, she said, don't you want him to learn to swim? Like you're wasting all this money. And I thought, you know, I don't think it's a waste of money for him to be comfortable in the water. We don't have a pool at our home. So really we don't have an opportunity for him to sit on a step anywhere else. So if I have to, you know, waste my money, quote unquote, for him to sit at the public pool, I'll, I'll go ahead and do that. Um, and so that went well for another couple of days. And he got to the point where he was standing on the third step in the water where the water was probably at his armpit level. And he was, you know, self-motivated uh, to jump towards me. And he was, you know, kind of doggy paddling, you know, maybe 50 centimeters. I mean, it was, you know, baby steps, literally baby steps. Yeah. And then and then this little girl joined the class. Um and her dad was a non-swimmer. Her dad was on the side. And so the only person that was in the water with her was this teacher. And the teacher went ahead with the program. And this kid was screaming, like screaming for her dad. And her dad would, you know, look up from his phone every now and then and just say, don't be scared. Don't be scared. You're fine. And I, I couldn't. I couldn't do it. I had to leave. I, I didn't want my son to be exposed to that kind of dynamic with an adult and just witness this kid yelling for help and not getting anywhere and yeah. being ignored by her parents and being ignored by the teacher. And so we, we left swim class and went to friends pools um, just on our own. Um, and I'm you know, happy to report that now when I say we're going swimming, he gets excited. He, you know, he's not screaming no, no, no and hiding in the closet like he was in the summer after that incident with the little girl. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I just I feel like we need to listen to what kids are telling us and we need to really respect their boundaries um, because ultimately we're building relationships. We're building relationships with these little people that grow into big people and you know possibly hold something against us if we don't respect those boundaries that is awesome i love that you've said building relationships yes yeah. say that one a lot <laughs> yeah um so valeria do you have any words of advice for teachers um i think that I mean, being a teacher myself, I totally understand management saying to you, here's the agenda, just stick to the agenda. But I would really, really like it if teachers and their management took a step back and looked at what the agenda is saying and how much flexibility there is. For example, you know, getting in on Monday, putting faces in on Tuesday, blowing bubbles Wednesday doesn't work for every child. And oh. having a strict deadline that every child must adhere to doesn't work 
So building relationships, building trust, allowing the child to take the first step, you know, kind of Vygotsky's scaffolding principles of letting the child, you know, take the step and you hold their hand through it um, would be ideal. And if a child does decide to sit on the steps for a week, that's not a loss in my book. And I think that with many, you know, parents being maybe short on time, being short on cash, short on patience, seeing a kid sitting on the steps for a week when you're paying for them to sit there can feel really uncomfortable and feel like, well, I'm paying all this money. What's happening? Well, what's happening is they're building trust and relationships with the teacher. Yeah. And they're not going to be sitting on the steps forever. Yeah. So just let it go, let it be, because they will get in the water. I I think there's a lot of teachers out there that we'd be happy to let them sit on the step for a week. But we've got that pressure from the parents that are like, no, they should have been doing this already. I think teachers are struggling to find a balance between what they know in their heart is right and what the parents are expecting I know that's mm-hmm. something that I've always struggled to balance. Those parent expectations yeah. are sometimes quite extreme. Like if you offer a block of 10 lessons or a term of 10 lessons, many parents expect that by the end of that 10 weeks, their child will swim. And it's like, ah, uh, no, <laughs> doesn't work that way. Is so, there a way to preempt that conversation before they pay? Yeah, see, I well, when when we ran Shut the Gate, I made sure that we had a checklist of everything that needed to be discussed beforehand and expectations yeah. was on that checklist. So um, one of the common questions was, how long is it going to take my child to learn to swim? Well, how long is a piece of string? It's going to depend on every yeah. child, but I can guarantee you it's not going to be in 10 weeks' time. This is, right. this is an ongoing commitment. So... I think it's just allowing teachers, I think, well, let me rephrase that. I think we need to give teachers the skills to be able to inform parents that, yes, they are sitting on the side, but they are still learning. I think if we can give the teachers the knowledge behind that, and you spoke about the scaffolding before, if we can give them enough knowledge about that to speak about that confidently, I think parents will back off big time yeah so and and it's interesting that it seems like um what you are seeing in your experience in australia and what i'm seeing my experience in california seem to almost be opposite things because as a parent i felt pressured by the teacher whereas you are feeling pressure from the parent to get the kid to swim it's just fascinating I, th- I think it also depends on the type of swim school that you come from. I think there are many swim schools over here in Australia where the teacher pressures the parents and mm-hmm. the students to do more. I think there is still a lot of that. I want to say it's probably more so in the larger swim schools. I'm not sure if that's true. Mm-hmm. But my feeling has always been that in the larger swim schools, because they've got so many kids coming through, they have to have a way to keep quality control. So someone who's not in the water is writing the lesson plans 
and then the teachers have to follow it and they all have to use the same keywords and they all have to do those things. And I think the teachers then feel pressured from management that this is how it has to be done and you can't waver yeah. from this for any child. So I think there's a lot of space where swimming teachers have to balance the expectations from management and parents, the children themselves, and also the expectations that they have on themselves. Because you know what? Not every lesson is going to come off perfectly. There are days where you just have a really terrible lesson and you have to go back and assess yourself and go, well, what worked and what didn't work? So there are days where we have to check ourselves and show ourselves some compassion as well as the kids. So it's I've, I'm finding that truly balancing the expectations no matter where you are is what it's coming down to. So yeah, I'll ask you this last question, Valeria. What okay. is reassuring for you as a parent and or what is a turnoff in terms of lessons for you? I think that what would be reassuring is feeling like my child is getting um, understood and is getting individualized um, instruction. And I know that as a teacher in the classroom, like I can't believe those words just left my mouth because it's so hard to offer individualized instruction to every student, but it's ultimately what they need. You have to meet each child where they are. And when you're running a swim class, it's really difficult to offer that individualized instruction to every single child. So I think that having, for the kids that really need it, the kids that are anxious, like I was as a child or like my son is, having private or semi-private lessons to begin might be the way to go. And having a teacher that is confident enough to advocate for that, say, you know, these group lessons really aren't working for your child. Let's, you know, ramp it up to the private lessons for a few weeks and see how that goes and maybe put them back in the group after a week or two. I would really like for there to be more of a conversation rather than a mandate or a dictate of, well, here's our package, take it or leave it, because that's currently what it feels like. What is reassuring is there does seem to be quite a large number of private swim instructors out there. You just need to look for them. And I think that as a first time mom and the first time, you know, swimming uh, customer, I guess you could say, I just went to what I know, which is go to the public pool, go to the group lessons, just get it done. And that didn't really work for me. And I'm proud of myself for seeing the error in my ways and fixing it in the moment rather than sticking through something that I knew was not working for my child. Yeah. So actually, did you try any other swim schools or any other pools? Yeah, we ended up going to a a different pool across town um, where they had a much more personalized and individualized approach to swimming. They don't take kids as young as two. And that's how old my son was in the summer. So once he um, turns three, which is this week, we're going to try and um, get him signed up there. Oh, that's exciting. Is he excited? He doesn't know yet. Uh, birthday <laughs> I, I only just looked at the paperwork a couple of days ago. Okay, yeah. beautiful. Oh, well, 
Valeria, thank you so much for speaking with me today and taking the time out. Um, I truly appreciate it and I hope that uh, the teachers that are listening appreciate it as well and, and can appreciate the experience that you've had um, and that you also have, especially as a school teacher in a classroom, that you, you do come with some knowledge. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. And I, I hope that, you know, it helps whoever needs to hear it. <laughs> I'm sure it will. I'm sure it will. And good luck to your little one uh, in, his, in his future lessons. Thank goodness methods have changed. Valeria had a terrible first experience learning to swim and a terrifying experience learning to swim. But it's interesting to hear how that has impacted on what she wants for her son. Now, she did mention a family connection. She is my husband's cousin. Well, that's the easy version. You kind of got to go back a generation. She's actually my mother-in-law's cousin's daughter. I don't know if there's a name for that. So I usually just go with cousin so much easier. Now, the reason I wanted to interview Valeria is because we've actually had so many conversations about learning to swim, especially with her son starting to do that. And she's been starting to get into that. She's a mum. Yes, she's a teacher. And I think that does give her massive insight into the world that we work in. And I'm actually super excited to hear her say things like build relationships, grow the whole child. I'm like, yes, yay. It is so good to hear a parent actually saying that. So my big takeaways from the conversation that I've had with Valeria are, remember to grow the whole child. We do so much more than just teach swimming. So you are never just a swimming teacher. Please remember that. Um, but listen to the kids, read their body language and build relationships with them. So important meet them where they are. I loved what she said about that. Just meet them where they are. Now, if we can start doing these things, our parent reassurance and satisfaction is going to increase, which means that kids are staying in the water longer and we then get to pump more information into them. Yes, I spoke to Valeria before the COVID-19 pandemic began. But the message is still the same. Parent communication is so important. Now, to teachers and owners, I know this is a really trying, this is a really hard time for many owners choosing whether or not to close the swim school and to keep working. And for so many teachers potentially losing work here. My thoughts are with you all during this time. Please be safe. And if you are still teaching, please make sure you are modifying and adjusting the way that you teach so that you aren't being breathed all over. This is a time when we really need to support each other. So my new challenge for this next two weeks is to work together. Maybe you could write some plans, get in some professional development, catch up on some reading, listen to other episodes of the podcast. Just shove that one in there. There's a few people that I'd really like to thank. Uh, Liz Kaur is one of them for all of the work that she's been doing with her Facebook groups with the small, medium and large swim schools. Liz, you are holding so many people together. So great job. Keep it up. Uh, Gary Toner and the guys from Swim Australia. They, these guys have been so responsive. Um, they've had an outstanding response to this and truly helping swim schools know what the requirements are and 
just just I guess really give you guys some guidance on where to go what to do and how to handle this situation. Oswim are starting to get the ball rolling with adding more of their content online for candidates as well. I know a lot of their work has been more around how do we keep getting people information? How do we keep educating teachers when they're potentially facing some downtime? And how do we keep candidates getting through um, this time as well? ASA have also released some information with some specific wording that swim schools can use, which I've heard is super, super helpful for so many swim schools out there. So if you are a swim school owner or you are a teacher, check out those organisations. They are putting things in place to help support you. So guys, it's really a time that we need to be safe. So please go out there, be safe, take care. And if you can, happy swimming.